Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Our God is great, but our God is also good. What an amazing combination. What an amazing truth. God is great and God is good. Uh, Thank you, worship team, and good morning. Welcome, everyone, on this uh, tail end of our uh, sizzling summer long weekend. That's been quite a stretch that we've gone through in the last few days, last week or so, with this heat. Uh, I trust that you've been keeping safe, that you've been keeping water in you and uh, sunscreen on you. Uh, My wife and I, Terry, uh, got away for a couple of days last week to the lake. We spent a couple of days with our our kids and our grandkids at a lake. And and, uh, despite the abundance of sunscreen that was available for my use, I still managed to burn a couple of sensitive areas of my anatomy over the course of those two days. Uh, It turns out that sunscreen... Uh, you know, regardless of the incredible advancements that they're making in those areas, where, where the SF, SPF levels are up to triple digits now, up to 100, uh, it's still, sunscreen still has that one inherent weakness, that one basic design flaw, that one uh, Achilles heel, if you will, and that's the, uh, the IQ of the person who has to put it on. Um, It turns out that regardless of how well and how faithfully you apply sunscreen to most of the areas of your body, if you miss or or neglect or forget about or just decide not to put it on other certain areas, then those aren't protected. Who knew? I mean, it just seems so obvious to me now as I'm saying that right now, but in the moment it wasn't quite so obvious. And uh, in my defense, how many of you put sunscreen on the tops of your feet and on your eyelids? (laughs) Me neither, until after this weekend, I'll uh, I'll be doing that again in the future. It's all good though, there's a few days gone past, Uh, my socks and myself are on speaking terms again, and I haven't found too many occasions to have to wink at anybody in the last few days, so, so it's all good. Um, Here we are, July 4th, the 4th of July. And I I can't promise you fireworks this morning, but I am excited to be able to introduce to you our brand new uh, preaching series on prayer that, as uh, Pastor Doug mentioned, we've decided to call Prayers of Biblical Proportion. Prayers of Biblical Proportion. Now, over the next several weeks, we are going to be taking a look at some of the the most significant and remarkable prayers that are recorded in Scripture. You know, it's clear in many ways, as we read the Bible, that our God is a God who desires, who wants to communicate with us. And when you combine that, that desire to communicate with his unlimited knowledge and his unrestricted capabilities, it's, it's safe or logical to assume that God is the master communicator. And so if that's true, then we have to assume that everything that's recorded in Scripture is there for a purpose, 
or in many cases, many purposes. There's a reason that God chose to include everything that's in our Bibles. There was lots of things that have, that have occurred over the course of history since the creation of the world in the, uh, in the early days of, of the nation of Israel, among God's followers, in the, in the time and the life of Jesus, in the, in the early church that followed. There's many, many things that aren't recorded in Scripture. And so it's, it's reasonable to assume that what is recorded is there for a specific reason. And that's true of the various prayers that we'll be looking at in this series as well. God had a reason to include those prayers. He didn't want to just give us a, a historical record of what was said on that particular occasion. There are reasons why God chose to include those prayers. And I'm looking forward to, uh, as Pastor Doug and Pastor Bruce unpack the rest of this series and, and we start taking a look at some of those prayers, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God has to teach us through that. Uh, you know, the, the first message this morning is a little bit different from all the rest that will follow. Uh, this is the only sermon this morning where we're not going to be actually focusing on one specific prayer. Rather, instead, we're going to look at a, at a unique aspect of prayer that I believe has largely gone unrecognized. Um, but I believe that it's, it's a very significant thing for us to consider as Christians. And so I consider it both a privilege and a responsibility to be here this morning and to be speaking on this particular topic. You know, uh, no matter what you're speaking on, the act of, 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 of speaking to people in public is a bit daunting. It's, it's, a, it's an activity that most people try to avoid at all costs. Did you know that in surveys that are conducted about the various fears and phobias that people have, the fear of public speaking often ends up in the top three on that list. Uh, comedian Jerry Seinfeld had some fun with this when there was a nationally, uh, nationally published survey that came out in which the fear of public speaking was ranked number one by people and the fear of death was ranked number two. And so he humorously concluded that the next time that you're at a funeral, just stop to think that most of the people in the room would rather be the one in the box than the one having to get up and give the eulogy. And he was just poking fun about how that just didn't make sense. But then in addition to the weight that's just always there in public speaking, when, when, you're, when you're speaking from the Bible or from God's word, there's an additional weight because there's eternal consequences at play. And so the preacher, the, the teacher, whoever it might be, feels this additional weight of, man, I just don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to accidentally lead people into error when there's so much at stake. On top of that, sometimes there's, or oftentimes, there's this added level of, of weight or pressure where the one speaking says, who am I to be standing up front and, and telling everybody else how to live their lives? Who am I? It's not like I'm perfect. I haven't arrived. And I have to admit that I felt some of the weight of that in my preparation for this message on prayer today. I mean, it's not like I don't pray. I pray. But I rarely feel like I totally measure up in this area. And maybe some of you can relate to this as well. 
I rarely feel that I've given it enough time. I rarely feel that I've disciplined myself enough. I rarely feel that the scope of my prayers are broad enough, that I'm praying for everything that I should be praying for. And so I approach this message this morning humbly, realizing and recognizing and, and announcing to you that, that I have a lot to, uh, to grow in this area as well, as I'm sure many of us do. Now, I think it would be, uh, it would be very inappropriate if we were going to be talking about prayer this morning if we didn't stop and just commit this time unto the Lord in prayer. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the amazing privilege that you've given us to be able to come into your presence with our requests, with our needs, our desires, our hearts beat, uh, just to talk, just to get to know you, to hear your voice. Lord, forgive us for the times that we uh, fail to just uh, spend as much time in that activity as I know you would like us to. Father, bless our time this morning. Open up your word and the truths in your word uh, to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we just commit this time unto you now for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. So the aspect of prayer that we're going to be talking about this morning is prayer as incense. Prayer as incense. And as I mentioned earlier, I think this is an area or a, or a concept that's been largely overlooked uh, by, by most of us, by many of us as Christians. Now, one of the reasons for that is possibly because there's not very many references to prayer as incest. Ooh, I was afraid that was going to slip out at one point. Prayer as incense in the Bible. There's only just a handful of, of uh, references to that. But I believe even though they're limited and small in number, I believe that the concept itself is, is an amazing one for us to consider and there's some real lessons or takeaways in it for us. And so that's what we're going to spend our time on this morning. Um, the passage that we're going to look at is found in the book of Revelation. And uh, which is, Revelation is a very interesting book. Written by the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' inner core of, of three closest disciples. And uh, in, in this book, God gives John this incredible vision of the things that are going to happen, of some of the things that are going to happen in the future. And John is instructed to write these down and record these for the churches to read. And so, um, before, we be look, before we just uh, turn to the passage in question this morning, I want to start by just reading John's introduction to, why, to what he's doing, to why he's writing this book at the beginning of Revelation in chapter 1. And I think it just informs and kind of sets the stage for the rest of the book. So, Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, 
And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance, and when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now we could, we could go no further than this passage. We could spend the next, certainly all of this morning and probably a couple more Sundays just, just unpacking what we've read here. But this is just setting the stage. This is just giving us a little feel for John, John's experience as he wrote unto us and passed on to us these incredible visions that God gave him. Visions that, that were recorded while he was living on the island of Patmos, where he had been uh, placed into exile by the Roman government in their, in their persecution of Christianity. And so, as he said, he was, he was there uh, as a result of his obedience to Jesus and his ministry to Jesus. Um, vision so incredible that they literally, as he said here, literally knocked him flat as though dead. So let's turn to our passage uh, with the, the groundwork laid. Our passage this morning is found in chapter 8, and it introduces our topic by giving us a glimpse into the very throne room of heaven. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 8. When he, the Lamb, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Now, in the, in the midst of this incredible description of this, this event occurring in heaven, we catch a, a, a tiny glimpse behind the curtain. We see how, how somewhat of, the, of how our, our prayers uh, rise up to God and how they're presented to Him. We see here that our prayers don't just aimlessly drift up into the clouds into the, and, and, until they finally find some opening into heaven through an open window or under a door. We see here that they are intentionally, formally, and ceremoniously delivered to God. Presented with honor to the very throne room and to the very presence of the one sitting on the throne. You know, as I read through this passage several times, and as I, I tried to just envision 
a tiny bit of how this event would have actually played out in real time. The word that kept coming to my mind over and over again was precious. That our prayers are precious to God. So why might that be? Why might what you or I or anyone else have to say to God be viewed by him as precious? As, as a fragrant aroma, pleasant, welcoming, worthy of ceremony and honor. In this passage it says that our prayers, the prayers of God's people, rise up together with incense. In another passage in Revelation, in chapter 5, verse 8, the prayers of God's people themselves are said to, cons- to be the incense that rises up to God. So why might our prayers be so fragrant and precious to God? You know, as I thought about that question, a couple of reasons, there, there may be many reasons, but a couple that came to my mind are this. First of all, I started imagining all the things that must arise up to an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing God on a regular, continual, constant basis. Just think about that for a minute. God knows everything. He sees everything. He hears everything. And think of all the junk that rises up from this fallen world to God's ears on a regular basis. You know, as I was thinking about that, a, and, and the image that came to my mind was that of a tire fire. Now, tire fires are exceedingly um, dangerous, great pollutants. Um, they're notoriously difficult to extinguish. They produce the, this, these huge volumes of, of thick, choking black smoke. It's a toxic smoke containing many lethal gases, including the gas of cyanide, so you don't want to get too near a tire fire. As I said, they're hard to put out. It's one of these things where you add water, it just makes it worse. Uh, there, was, there was a tire fire in, located in Wales that involved 10 million tires that took over 15 years to finally fully extinguish. Think of that black smoke constantly, continually rising up to the heavens. And it gives us a little bit of a picture or an image of what God must experience as he continually, regularly, day after day, sees everything that's rising up to him out of this sinful world. Cries of pain, suffering, violence, blasphemy, boasting, arrogance, adultery, cruelty, jealousy, greed, sickness, all manner of injustice rising up to the ears of God. Now, we don't have to limit ourselves just to our imagination here. There's a number of um, scriptures in, in in a number of passages found in scripture that talk about 
the various things that arise to God. Uh, in Genesis 4, uh, this is shortly after Cain had murdered his brother Abel. And God says to him, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Then he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Genesis 18, we read, starting in verse 20, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely as the outcry which has come to me as indicates. indicates. Exodus 2, verses 24, verse 24, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. James 5 says, Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your field, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord in heaven. All manner of sin and wrongdoing and injustice rising up to God. Now, it, it, it almost, it, you know, as I thought about it, my mind first of all started to hurt. It was just impossible to comprehend how much innocent blood cries out to God from the ground of our world. How much pain, how much injustice rises up to a holy God. But then in the midst of this noxious billow of, of, of choking smoke, picture thin wasps of fragrant smoke arising, pushing their way up through the poisonous clouds that reek of death and decay, that try desperately to overpower and to prevent these other tendrils of smoke from arising. Here is... The prayer of a family as they give thanks to God for the food that he provided and they are about to eat now. Over there is the prayer of a child and, and the purity of, and simplicity of, of that child's faith is expressed as he proclaims his or her love for the Lord. Over there we have the prayer of a new believer as they repent of their sin and, and they joyously place their faith in the saving work of, of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And the prayers of God's people rise up as fragrant incense to the very throne room of heaven, where they are presented with honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Offerings that are pleasing, acceptable, and precious to him. Now, the second reason that I think our, our prayers are precious to God uh, doesn't require as much imagination. It, it's pretty clearly stated in Scripture if we just connect the dots. I think just by reading these next two uh, passages uh, pretty much tells the tale. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved, loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Then we read in 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And we see here a, a beautiful truth that when God sees us, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus covering us, not our sin. God sees in us the fruit of the amazing sacrificial um, gift that Jesus gave to us on that cross. Because of Jesus, God the Creator sees in us His creation restored. Because of Jesus, God the Father sees in us family. As through Jesus, we've been invited and adopted back into God's family. And that's why I believe another, a very strong reason why our prayers rise up as incense to God. Uh, when, he, when he hears that, when he sees that, when he's reminded of that, he sees and smells the, the pleasant aroma of his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. Because of Jesus, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. So what are the lessons? What, what are the takeaways from this amazing uh, fact that our prayers rise up to God as incense? Well, I think the first implication we see here is this is yet another vivid reminder of the amazing access that we've been granted to God through and as a result of Jesus' sacrifice for us. You know, time and time again, as we went through the, the Hebrews series, we saw how, how what Jesus has done for us, his death on that cross in our place, for our sin, standing in our stead, how that opened up the opportunity for us to get back into right relationship with, with God, our creator. How that opened up the opportunity to, to be brought into the family and be able to talk to God as our, as our father. Uh, you know, I think that we'll see in a moment just how, how the, at, the, at the death of Jesus, the, the scripture record records that the, the heavy veil that was in the temple that, that kept people out of the innermost sanctuary, the, the holy of holies, that kept people away from a holy God because they were sinners, that veil was ripped in two from the top down and was removed because of Jesus. It's, it's an amazing, mind-boggling, staggering truth that we now have this incredible access at the time and place of our choosing to be able to access the very throne room of heaven. And the one who sits upon that throne is, is an incredible thing. The second implication that comes to mind uh, as we consider this, this startling image is that I think it, it should be hard for us to approach prayer the same way uh, with that image in mind. With that thought of our prayers being ceremoniously brought before God, drifting up to him as he sits upon his throne, surrounded by a great company of witnesses. Picture with me the following scenario. A powerful, majestic, angelic being reverently enters into the throne room of heaven carrying a beautiful, intricately designed golden bowl. 
And he walks slowly forward. Out of the bowl is, is, is rising these, these, these incredibly fragrant wisps of smoke. And carefully and ceremoniously the angel comes and he sets that bowl down on a golden altar that's situated right in front of the throne and the one who's sitting on it. And what arises out of that bowl on this particular occasion? Well, maybe a hurried, flippant, self-centered prayer flung towards the heavens by Gord Hansen. And the whole myriad of celestial worshipers cringe when out of the bowl comes something like this. Hey God, could you hit me up with a few more bucks this week? I'm running kind of low. Thanks a lot, buddy. Later. I don't know about you, but this challenges me in how I approach prayer. And it's not like all of our prayers have to be long and formal and, and written in King James language. But I think that this tells us that the, the, that activity has to include a certain level of respect and a certain level of awe when we consider the destination and the, rece the receiver of our prayers. You know, I think Jesus, um, Jesus gives us a good balance or gave us a good balance when he gave us uh, his Lord's Prayer as a model for how we should pray. Um, in, in, in his amazing uh, Sermon on the Mount passage that's, that contains some just incredible teaching on his part, right in the middle of that, he starts off by telling the disciples and the crowds that are there, he starts telling them how they shouldn't pray. And he points to the pagans and, and to uh, the hypocrites, and he says, that you should not pray like this, like this, these folks, because they are praying in a self-serving, uh, self-glorifying manner, trying to draw attention to themselves, getting a, get a pat on the back for how spiritual they are. He says, don't pray like that, but this is how you should pray. And he gives us this prototype of prayer that I don't think he ever intended for us to just necessarily uh, repeat verbatim from memory, but but the concepts expressed in them, I think, are important. And Jesus' uh, prayer, the Lord's prayer that he gave us, begins like this. And I'm just going to look at the beginning. A very familiar passage. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. And it says, And this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus' model prayer for us, this prototype of how we should pray, begins by drawing our focus on who God is. He's our Father, but He's also our God residing in heaven. And as our Father, we, we have permission to come spontaneously and joyously, like, chill, like His children, like a, like a child would come to their parents. But as our God in heaven, there's also a call to reverence. And respect. The word hallowed means um, to honor as holy and sacred, to set apart, to make the object of, of veneration, generating feelings of awe, respect, and reverence. 
Our Father who art in heaven. Oh, I slipped into King James there. That's how I memorized it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus doubles down here then by pointing to the fact that because of who God is, our focus should be on the fact that his will is accomplished on earth and in heaven, as it is in heaven, not not just our own wills. And then it gives us, of course, freedom to pray about our daily needs and our concerns. But uh, I think this image of of this, this glimpse we got into the throne room of heaven in Revelations 8 just uh, demands, inspires is a better word. It inspires approaching God in prayer with, with respect and with awe. A third and wonderful implication of getting this sneak peek into the throne room of heaven and, and, and seeing how God uh, receives our prayers as precious an implication of this is, is just, just letting it soak into us how precious, how important our prayers are to God. And let, you know, let this vivid image wash over you the next time that you're wondering if God really cares. If you're wondering, the next time that you're wondering, if you're, if you're just talking to the wall, if God's even listening. If you're wondering, am I bothering God by continuing to pray about this thing over and over again? And in those moments of doubt, let this image just flood over you, wash over you of how precious your prayers are to God. How they're they're given honor and ceremony. How they, they bring to God the pleasing aroma of his son. And that should just squelch any feelings of doubt that might be in our minds at the moment. God sees in us Jesus. He sees the, he receives the fragrant aroma of his son and his sacrifice on our behalf. And so let that image inform you the next time you go to prayer. Let's let's pray like King David did as recorded in Psalm 141 when he prayed this. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. You know, I think it's extremely uh, fitting this morning that as we've been reminded of this amazing access that we have to the very throne room of heaven, as we've gotten this humbling glimpse of how our prayers are, are so important and precious to God that this is a communion Sunday. I think that's very appropriate. I think it's extremely relevant for us to stop and consider that what we are gathering around the communion table for, don't have a table at the moment because of COVID, but what we are gathering together to partake in communion what we are drawing together to remember, this, this we do in remembrance of him. And the things that we're remembering this morning, without them, none of this would have been possible. We still would be separated from God by that thick veil in the temple. Still told that we're too unclean to approach God. A sin, sinful people approaching a holy God still needing human intermediaries to stand in our place and to to buffer us and to present prayers on our behalf in a very limited 
uh, manner that was just a foreshadowing of, of what was to come. So we, we stand here this morning about to participate. I trust that you uh, picked up one of these uh, little uh, containers of the elements that were still required to use at the check-in table when you came in. Let me just say that communion uh, is not an exclusive practice of First Baptist Church. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a regular attender to participate in communion this morning. I, I invite all those of you who know and love Jesus Christ as your Savior to enter in. You can, yeah, you can start on, on packing these because it's a little bit tricky. There's two different levels. One top layer is the wafer. The bottom layer is the uh, juice. And both of these elements are reminders to us of Jesus Christ's great sacrifice on our behalf. Reminders of the price that was paid to purchase our pardon and to tear that veil down that separated us from God. This top wafer, top compartment, I should say, contains a wafer that represents the Lord's body that was broken and bruised and beaten on our behalf. Take it and eat. Do this in remembrance of him. Next we have the cup. This juice represents the blood of our Savior, which was spilled and voluntarily poured out for our great benefit. Drink this in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pause here this morning and we reflect on two great truths. The first being the incredible access that we have to you, how we have the freedom, the privilege of being able to lift our voices to you at any time of our choosing and to know that our prayers are reaching the very throne room of heaven. Thank you, Father, for being a good God, a God who loves us, a God who wants to communicate with us, a God who's concerned about even the smallest things in our lives. But Father, we're reminded of even a greater truth, a foundational, fundamental truth that makes this possible, and that's the amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross where he voluntarily came down from heaven and took our place, stood in our, stood in our stead, took the penalty that we deserve for our sins. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to the will of your Father. Thank you for being now our eternal high priest, opening up the way, opening up access to God the Father through us for the amazing truth about being adopted into your family. Lord Jesus, thank you. We remember you this morning. We love you and just want to express our gratitude.
Father, go with us this week. Continually bring to mind as we pause, as we, as we pray to you, this image of our prayers being precious to you. And may, Lord, that just inspire us. May that encourage us to be even more faithful uh, in, in coming to you for those times of prayer, Father. Thank you for these folks that are here. Thank you for the people that are home watching online. Lord, I just ask your blessing on each and every one of them this day. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.